The Clavenless Weekend is over. Finally. Yes, finally. It was hell, especially for me. To be without myself for three days was just an absolute... You know, all I read about all weekend long was the press saying that last week was Donald Trump's worst week ever. I guess since his last worst week, which was the week before that. And obviously, if you can't trust the press, who are you going to trust? Like some lunatic raving on the street. Oh, that is the press. Sorry, I, I mistook him for a schizophrenic. But actually, when you when all the fake news clears away, last week was actually kind of amazing. It, it was an amazing Donald Trump week, and we're going to talk about that. And we have the inimitable Michael Knowles. At least I can't imitate him. Somebody else maybe can do a great Knowles. But it, the in, possibly inimitable uh, Michael Knowles, I sent him off to cover corruption at NBC. And uh, he's here today. Uh, I don't know. They sent me his pants with fish wrapped in it. I don't know what that means. But <laughs> we'll talk about all of that. Meanwhile, trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hooray, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. Hooray, hurrah. And not only is the Clavenless weekend over, but tomorrow we will have a double dose of Claven. It's like, it's, it's kind of like that coffee that I drink in the morning. It's like, where the spoon will stand up in it. It'll just be so much Claven. You'll be like running around like a cat on catnip running up the walls. Our second episode of The Conversation comes up on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. And I will be there with Alicia Krauss, which is why I showed up, actually, because they told me Alicia was going to be there. If it was just going to be me, I wouldn't come. All of the mysteries of the universe will be solved and all of your life's questions will be answered. What we do, it's on the Daily Wire Facebook page and YouTube channel, and anyone, anyone can watch. I mean, the lowest of the low can watch. But if you subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month, you can actually ask questions, and all my answers are guaranteed correct and will change your life possibly for the better. So it's kind of like a long, what is it, an hour? Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, so it's like like basically a big edition of the mailbag. If you subscribe for a year, it only costs you 100 lousy bucks plus <laughs> Come on, you get the leftist tears tumbler. What else what else could you want? While while you are watching the conversation Tuesday, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Um, Pacific, wherever I am, yeah. <laughs> while you're watching, this Leftist Tears tumbler will actually fill up while I'm speaking. It will fill up with Leftist Incredible. Tears. Yes, yeah, so you get them cold, you get them hot, whatever you want. And, and I won't have to run out in the middle of the conversation to go to the post office. And you may say, why? Why? Won't you? How, how can you do that? How is it possible that you can talk for a straight hour without stopping, getting in your car, driving to the post office, waiting online, hoping the, you know, the thing is open, and get back in time to finish the conversation? It's because I use stamps.com. That, you knew that, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you guessed. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. It actually is 
cool. You put the envelope in your printer. Maybe it's just cool to me. Maybe everybody else is so like hep to the jive that they know. But it's cool to me that you can put your envelope in the printer. It just comes out with a stamp on it. And stamps.com makes it easy. They'll send you a digital scale, which automatically calculates the exact postage. And they'll even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. You got to use this thing. I use it because I'm just not going to stop my day to go to the post office. They do a good job, but it's just too, takes too long. So right now, you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Clavin. Stamps.com, enter Clavin. K-L-A, you were going to ask, right? I knew you were going to ask. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Stamps.com, you never got to go to the post office again. So watching the news now is like living in a left-wing fantasy world. It is just like an entire made-up place. You know, they, last week they were going on and on about this is this is Trump's worst week ever. This is such a terrible week. Trump's Molly Hemingway, whom we love at the Federalist, she runs, she edits the Federalist, but she wrote a piece quoting the Washington Post. The Washington Post headline was Republicans, it's time to panic. This columnist Michael Gerson wrote that Senator Bob Corker, this is the big thing, right? you, if you haven't been paying attention to this, Bob Corker, the Republican Tennessee, uh, you know, big time senator, lots of big committees and all this, he's been attacking Trump. And the press, of course, is falling all over him. The press loves you when you attack Trump. And that's they get what they call a strange new respect. They hate Republicans until Republicans are attacking each other. Then they say, you know, the, this is a man universally respected, suddenly, suddenly. And Corker was making all these comments like it's a, uh, you know, the place is out of control and he's going to start World War III and all this stuff. Morning Joe so help me, spent two solid days talking about the 25th Amendment. The 25th Amendment, this is like, I'm serious, it's like a fantasy world. It's like living in their fantasies. The 25th Amendment provides that, I think the vice president has to initiate it, but you can get rid of a president who can't do his job. If he's sick, if he's in a coma, you know, if he's Donald Trump, like one of those, one of the, I think they actually, those are the things they list, sick, in a coma. <laughs> That's right. That's right. In the fantasy version of this, they actually mention Donald Trump. But then your cabinet has to go to the, you know, to the Congress, and the Congress has to vote on it. It ain't going to happen. And by the way, it, it's basically useless because if the... Uh, if your cabinet starts to actually say this about you, you can fire him. The president can, you know, they serve at the president's pleasure. So you fire him and get somebody who won't say it about you. But Joe Scarborough, two days, just, just take an individual. This is just a quick uh, snip of Joe Scarborough selling the 25th Amendment, which he did two days in a row. Have you got this? Yeah. There's something called the 25th Amendment that they're going to have to start looking at. This is not acceptable as, as, as the status quo, when you have the most powerful Republican on Capitol Hill saying the president of the United States could be leading us toward nuclear war and Republican senators remain silent. Let's pray for some courage, because uh, they certainly have been warned very pray, clearly. We're praying for courage that they're going to upend the election. I mean, can you imagine, like, not one person has talked about the... 60 million people with pitchforks and torches who would be out on the mall the next day. I mean, this is, it's, it's just this fantasy world. So the other fantasy 
and Molly talks about this too with the Federalists, they, the other fantasy is that everything is in chaos. Obviously, Trump is a chaotic guy. Trump is a guy who generates chaos. He yells at people. He's obviously got a, he's a big personality. Kind of, he's been living on reality TV, so everything he touches becomes reality TV. So the, the press has been relentlessly running these stories. Remember when everything was Russia? Neither do I. I mean, I've totally forgot. Yeah, Russia's completely off, off the map. But remember, every day it was Russia, and Russia said this, and a guy who knew Russia, somebody who saw from Russia with love is now a, an anonymous source and everything, you know, whatever they could find. Somebody who read a John le Carré novel once was hanging out with Donald Trump, and it was just all this garbage, which is now gone. I mean, it's, they keep hoping it'll come back. They keep praying that this is going to get him impeached, something like this. But it's a complete nonsense story. So now the nonsense story is about the chaos. Everybody's getting fired. And the big one was Tillerson. <laughs> Did Tillerson call Trump a moron? And here's my opinion. Of course he called him a moron. Tillerson is a big guy. Trump is a big guy. They probably call each other names all the time. You know, that pansy, that moron, I hate that guy. <laughs> there are probably a lot worse names than moron. So Tillerson is too cool to lie. But he doesn't want to answer the question. Jake Tapper has him on. This is the, you know, here he is on CNN, Secretary of State, and Tapper asks him a question, and Tillerson gives this long, long answer. He says, I'm not going to do this. I'm just not going to answer the question. And goes on and on, and then talks about the, he talks about the administration, what they're doing, and all this stuff. <laughs> and then Tapper comes back to it, and this is how he uses his time. So this is cut number three. When you don't answer the question, it makes people think that you probably did say it. But either way, whatever happened, it is serious. So can you please clear it up? As I said, Jake, I'm not playing. These are the games of Washington. These are the destructive games of this town. They're not helpful to anyone. And so my position on it is, I'm not playing. I'm not playing. You want to make a game out of it, I'm not playing. I'm not it's making, a, I'm not making a game that. out of it. I mean, I'm just trying to see clarity because saying that if I said that my boss wasn't moron, that would be a serious issue. It wouldn't be, and, and my boss doesn't control nukes. Um, I'm willing to move on, but I just want to be clear. You still haven't denied that you called him a moron. And, you know, a lot of people are going to watch this and think he probably said it. I'm not dignifying the question with an answer, Jake. And I'm, I'm a little surprised you want to spend so much time on it when there's so many important issues around the world. I have to tell you, I, I was a reporter. I was a reporter both in the newspaper and in radio. And reporters do this all the time. They try and convince the guy that it is in his best interest. Reporters are a little like cops this way. You try to, you know, convince the guy that it's in his best interest to answer your stupid question, which you obviously are going to blow up underneath him. Like, you know, it's your, trying to get him to hoist himself on his own petard. Does anybody know what that means? You know, to, a petard, yeah, petard was an explosive device. And if you blew yourself up with it, you hoisted yourself on your own petard. That's a, just a little side note I thought you might be yeah. interested in. But, but, the, but the thing is, reporters do this all the time. It would really be in your best interest if you would tell me this fact that you don't want anybody to know that I will then use to excoriate you in the press, okay? Because if anybody actually, Tillerson actually said, yeah, I called him a moron, what do I care if he's the press? You know, that we'd never, ever, ever hear the end of it. It's the same as when cops say to people, get it off your chest, you'll feel better. And then they put you in jail for 25 years to life, you know, and that doesn't feel as much better as you kind of thought it would. You thought it was gonna feel better, but 25 years to life is too long. So anyway, this is the, this is the thing that the press is absolutely focused on. Never mind substance, never mind what's going on in legally in terms of new legislation, in terms of new regulation, none of that. It's all this stuff. So John Kelly, the uh, you know the um, chief of staff and the former and a general, comes out and surprises the press 
at a press conference, at the usual press conference, he comes out and talks to them, and he tries to be a little charming. He says, I'm not getting fired. Uh, you know, nothing has happened. This is his one complaint. Listen to this. My only frustration, with all due respect to everyone in the room, is when I come to work in the morning and read about things I allegedly said or things that Mr. Trump allegedly said or uh, people who were going to be fired or whatever, or think, and it's just not true. Um, that's my frustration. I mean no disrespect to you all. I mean no disrespect to you all, but everything you say is a lie. <laughs> it's like, so, I mean, obviously, like I said, this guy is a chaotic guy. There's a lot of noise, a lot of sound and fury. But let's talk about what really happened last week. Okay, let's brush all that away, what really happened last week. Trump t started to tame the EPA. He got rid of this clean power plan. Okay, and the thing about the clean power plan is that the EPA has been running riot against business and especially against the coal industry. And the way they do this is they declare, like they'll declare the, uh, you know, particulates that come out of producing coal and burning coal, they'll declare them absolutely lethal. And Congress will say, well, how do you know they're lethal? And they'll say, well, you know, we did a study. And Congress, this is absolutely true, Congress will subpoena the study and the EPA won't turn it over. And so they've done other studies. It's not, you know, it's not absolutely lethal. Obviously, there's always going to be some pollution. Coal is probably not, you know, even clean coal is probably not the cleanest thing you can use. And But still, this was just an attempt to destroy an industry that they don't like, the left doesn't like. And the EPA has been out of control, and this was the right thing to do. They, they started to pull this back, you know. I mean, this is, this is definitely uh, an, an improvement. I mean, this is one of the things that Trump is doing that is great. He ended illegal subsidies to the insurance companies. What's happening with this is these companies, Obamacare is such a mess that these companies can't afford to pay out things. You know, when you say to an insurance company who's supposed to insure you against the possibility that you're going to get sick, and you say to them, well, you have to cover people who are already sick, there's no business model there. That's not a business model. That's fascist business. Fat, you know, communists take over businesses. Fascists just tell the business what to do and then blame the business when things go wrong. That's, that's the, that it literally is a definition, one of the definitions of fascism. That's what they do. So these subsidies that they were paying out to insurance companies were completely illegal. The Constitution says you have to legislate. You know, what, how would it be if Trump just said, like, you know, I'm going to build the wall? And then my, you know, I, don't, I don't care what Congress says. I'm just going to build the wall. These were completely illegal. So he ends them, and now the insurance companies are, are in trouble, and they're scrambling. So here, just, this is just to give an example of how the left reacts. This is uh, Democratic Senator uh, Chris Murphy from Connecticut. Uh, you know, what, what does this mean for everything? And then I'll tell you what it really means. This is the equivalent of healthcare arson. He is literally setting the entire healthcare system on fire just because the president is upset that the United States Congress won't pass a repeal bill that is supported by 17% of the American public. These subsidies going to the insurance companies help very low income people afford insurance. Uh, and without the subsidies, there will be many people who won't be able to provide insurance and afford it. And the other set of subsidies that go to individuals to access coverage will actually increase, meaning that the deficit goes up, the amount of money that we spend overall in the Affordable Care Act goes up, because all that happens is the payments that used to be going to insurance companies now get substituted with increased tax credits for individuals to afford the coverage. Um, the fact of the matter is the president is trying to sabotage the American health care system, trying to put a gun to the head of our constituents by taking away their health care or raising their costs in order to force us to repeal a bill that the American public doesn't want us to repeal. 
So it's a gun to your head. It's arson. He's setting things on fire. He's blowing things up. What happens now? What happens now is the Senate will now have to figure out what to do because they didn't weren't they were doing this illegally. Did you you didn't hear the word constitution once there? You didn't hear the word legal once there. All Trump did was end something that was being done illegally, and now the Senate will have to figure out what they're going to do about this. And that means that that means that there's they're trying to put together packages to re basically repeal and replace Obamacare. Trump has forced the Congress. Now, what does the president mean by going to Congress to pass laws? What the hell is going on in this country? This man is an autocrat. He is a, a tyrant. How can he force Congress to do its job? It's a Same thing with Iran. The same thing with Iran. He said he would not certify the Iran deal. And the thing is, this, this Iran deal is such a bad thing. It is so bad. But one of the reasons it's bad is because Barack Obama, remember Barack Obama? He used to, I, what did he do? Yeah, Barack, he's something. You know, it's hard to, I always forget him. I can't remember what he looks like because his legacy is just kind of a drifting mist floating away on the winds of change. But, but Barack Obama was not a dumb man. And he set this thing up. So we gave Iran all this money. We pulled off the sanctions that, remember, we're, the Western world was basically as one delivering these sanctions against Iran. But we knew that the, Europe is dying to do business with Iran so that they're never going to come back on board. They're never going to come back on board these sanctions. And all this d did was it meant that Iran can continue their nuclear research, but they can't do it in a way that immediately applies to weapons, and then the whole thing sunsets, and they build a, a nuclear bomb. I mean, they could have a nuclear bomb tomorrow because all they have to do is buy it. North Korea would be happy to sell them what they've got. But this this just, you know, I guess it slows them down, but it's the same deal. You know, Nikki Haley was on, and she pointed out this is exactly what Clinton did with North Korea. Listen to, listen to what she's talking about. Everybody is turning a blind eye to Iran, and all of those violations out of trying to protect this agreement. What we need to say is we have to hold them accountable. They can't be continuing to support terrorism around the world like we are seeing they do. They can't continue to test ballistic missiles, which will lead to a nuclear Iran. They can't continue to do arms smuggling in the way that they're doing. Are we really ready to have them become So you're saying you, you believe that there are other dangers posed by Iran, but right now remaining in the deal is in the national security interest of the United States? I think that's why you saw the president is staying in the deal. He's saying to Congress, can we make it better? What else can we do so that we can better protect Americans? And I think that his engagement with Congress is something that never happened under President Obama. They were never allowed to debate it. They were never allowed to discuss it. So now Congress is going to be fully engaged on the threats of Iran. These are all lessons learned from North Korea, every single one of them. See, this is the other thing. Obama set this up, and Congress let him do it, which is really criminal, but they, they, he, they set this up. This is a treaty. They keep calling it the Iran deal. It's a treaty, and it should have been voted on by Congress, and it wasn't all this unconstitutional stuff. This is what bu really bugged me. Well, once again, he's pushing this back to Congress, and all the gray heads are on the Sunday uh, shows, and they're all saying, oh, you know, Congress isn't going to do anything for six months. Then we're going to be right back where we started and all this. I mean, once again, Trump is asking Congress to do its job, to, to uh, justify and examine this treaty. And there's nothing good going to come out of this treaty except maybe a delay, maybe a slight delay in their acquisition of nu nuclear weapons. 
Where, whereas, and I, I agree, Iran is not going to negotiate. It's not. Gonna, but why should we have the treaty at all? I don't understand. Why should should we have the treaty at all? What Trump is basically saying is he's readjusting our foreign policy to preventing Iran from having a nuclear war. So when Bob Corker says he's going to push us to World War III, all these sophisticated gray heads have been sitting here for 20 years while North Korea has slowly gone building its bomb, and now they're sitting here where Iran slowly goes ahead building its bomb. And as long as it's not happening today, somehow everything's okay. And when Trump says, you know what, we re really better stop this, it's, oh my God, it's World War III. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. You know, he did a lot more last week. I'm only getting started, but I want to get to Michael Knowles. Also want to talk to you about upside because of the upside with upside. Because, you know, the thing is, if you belong to a big company, like we're like this is a major, major media company. Yeah. With, oh, I see. We, we basically own Sherman Oaks. Basically, Sherman Oaks is one big daily wire building. But if you belong, so if you belong to a company like this, you just have an entire department where you go in and they arrange your travel for you. If somebody says, hey, we need you to go to, you know, New York, it's all set up. Here's your ticket. You're gone. You have somebody you can call if something goes wrong. If you don't get the seat you want, somebody you can call. But if you're in a small business, see, you need Upside.com because Upside.com will do all that stuff for you. For instance, if you don't like your room, you can call them. If you don't like uh, you know, your seat on the plane, if you don't have Wi-Fi, buying a business trip at Upside.com is a triple win, and here is why. Number one, Upside has the absolute best available prices for flights, hotel, and rental cars, and you don't get that as an individual, and you don't get it as a small business. Win number two is that Upside will reward you with a gift card to places like Amazon.com every time you buy a business trip. Another thing that happens at a big company is they, you, know, you get rewards for using uh, certain companies you get this with Upside.com. Number three is the amazing, they call it six-star treatment. You'll get from Upside's customer service specialists. They call them navigators. And what happens is if you get on, you say your flight is delayed for two hours, uh, you call the navigator. Navigator will arrange for you to have complimentary access to the executive lounge. I have to tell you, I use these all the time. They make traveling so much better. They really do. And you can always get in touch with one of these guys. And and they're just always uh, accessible by voice, chat, email, or message on the Upside app, even reaching out to you with useful info to help you avoid a problem before it happens. I will start your Upside six-star treatment right now. Go to Upside.com and use my code Andrew, and you'll get a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com. That's code Andrew. This helps us as well as them because they know that I'm the one who's sending you. So go on, use the code Andrew for a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com when you buy your next business. Business trip at Upside.com. Upside.com, you deserve a better business trip. Minimum purchase required and see the site for complete details. we got Michael Knowles coming up to, to discuss the corruption, incredible corruption at NBC. But we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. You can still go to thedailywire.com and listen to the show if you want to watch the whole show and on thedailywire.com so you don't have to jump back and forth. Subscribe! It's a lousy 10 bucks a month, and you will get to ask questions at the conversation, which is tomorrow. It is tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. It's me and Alicia Krauss. We will answer every possible, we'll solve all the problems of your life. Your life will be a better thing after tomorrow. It's on Daily Wire Facebook page and YouTube channel. Anyone can watch it, but you've got to subscribe to ask questions. Come on over to thedailywire.com. All right, have we got Knowles? Show me Knowles. 
I somehow made it back from the pits of the mainstream media. <laughs> I have scars I all over my body. I expected, when I sent you out to look at the corruption in the mainstream media, I expected there to find your bottle in a barrel of lye. Oh, <laughs> the Women's March was a walk in the park compared to what they tried to do to me over at NBC. It was like, I could see us, like, you know, me and Shapiro sitting around, he was a good kid, Knowles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> too, too bad he went after NBC. <laughs> so I, I wanted you to look at this because... I mean, basically, I heard this guy, Joe Concha, talking about it at the Hill. He's a really good media reporter. And he was just talking about the fact that Harvey Weinstein, this major, major Hollywood scandal, is being covered everywhere except at NBC. That's right. And Concha did a great piece on this. There was this sort of question in my mind. They always gaslight us a little bit. And I wondered, why isn't NBC covering this? Everybody is covering this. Why won't NBC? And they said, well, Lorne Michaels at SNL said, well, it's a New York story. Some of them say, well, you know, it's not a big enough deal. No one knows who Harvey Weinstein is. But it's, it's a little too weird. The uh, uh, first seven and a half hours after the story broke, NBC News did not cover it. Seth Meyers and Jimmy Fallon, the two late night hosts at uh, at NBC, didn't do jokes on it for five nights. That's five nights went by, they didn't do jokes on it. Then uh, uh, NBC News division chief, and I think this is the guy behind it, Noah Oppenheim, said that NBC encouraged the original story. They encouraged Ronan Farrow to break the story. That's the, not what Farrow says. That's not what Farrow says, <laughs> that's not what CNN says, that's not what Huffington Post says. A lot of m major media players on the left and who know these people totally refute it. Uh, SNL also didn't do jokes on it. The, after the story broke, they wrote some jokes about Weinstein, and then they cut them before they went to air. So somebody made a decision to get those jokes out of the show. And this week, now we're talking a full week later, obviously SNL feels the pressure. They have to cover Weinstein jokes. So how do they open the show? They make fun of Donald Trump. Of course they make fun of Donald Trump. They do Donald Trump, Rex Tillerson. I, I guess they try to make a joke about Russia now, but that story's been utterly discarded. Only halfway through the show did they uh, even acknowledge the jokes. And here is, here is Michael Che at Weekend Update explaining the trouble. You know, this is a tough spot for a comedian because it's so hard to make jokes about sexual assault. Yeah, it's so hard to make jokes, right? Do, uh, do you remember <laughs> Donald Trump? Do you remember that Access Hollywood tape? We're still hearing these hackneyed, low-hanging fruit jokes about Trump being made about this nine months later. You know, this reminds me of when they were hit for not making jokes about Barack Obama, because they never made fun of Barack That's right. Obama. They occasionally made fun of how nice the press was to him. And one of their writers, one of their comedy writers said, well, he's just like a flat obsidian wall. He's so perfect <laughs> that there's no handhold that you can climb up to the humor, which was really interesting because obsidian is a black stone, so you could tell that what he was subconsciously saying is not making fun of the first black president. That's, you know? a, that's a yeah, Freudian slip where you say one thing but mean your mother. Even, even Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey's a great comedian. He was one of the best at SNL. Yeah. He said on some late night show, well, how do you make fun of Obama? You know, he's so per he's, he's this Harvard genius. That's the phrase he used. Mm. He's He's so charismatic. He's, uh, I don't know, there are a lot of ways to make fun of Barack Obama, <laughs> yeah, exactly. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But the, uh, the joke about Trump's sex tape, it's not really a sex tape, he just was talking to Billy Bush and making crude comments, that draws a whole new light on this uh, controversy at NBC, because that was an NBC property. That Access Hollywood tape was owned That's by NBC. Right. That's right. Now, somehow that 
that Access Hollywood tape just walked out the door. It made it onto television. It made it into the Hollywood Reporter just a few days before the presidential debate. But Harvey Weinstein jokes cannot be told at the network. Even NBC Sports, uh, Al Michaels, you know, sportscaster, was covering the Giants-Broncos game, and he told this joke. He said, quote, I mean, let's face it, the Giants are coming off a worse week than Harvey Weinstein, and they're up 15 points. He was forced to apologize. He couldn't even tell that joke. He came on later and he said, uh, sorry I made the reference earlier, it was a little flib. Uh, uh, my apologies, uh, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> That's, but that wasn't forced out it really of him came or from anything the heart. like that. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of an old joke about Bob Hope, who once uh, said his hotel room was so small that the mice were round-shouldered, and they forced him to apologize, and he said, well, you know, I said the mice were round-shouldered. They weren't. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's, it was not a very sincere apology. That's exactly it. And, uh, you know, they, they asked Lauren Michaels about this. Lauren Michaels also has been an NBC executive forever, yeah. <laughs> creator of SNL, and his excuse was, it's a New York story. No one, no one knows who Harvey oh, Weinstein on. is. Really? You, I, I think I've heard Harvey Weinstein <laughs> yeah. in every Oscars speech of the last 20 years. I, I think the whole country knows who he is. He's the most powerful man in Hollywood, but they're covering up for their own. And NBC has a history with this stuff. Uh, former NBC executive Don Olmeyer fired oh, yeah. Norm MacDonald, the yeah. greatest comedian of his generation, yeah. fired Norm MacDonald. Uh, from the Weekend Update desk because he was making too many jokes about his buddy O.J. Simpson. That's right, because he played, Omar played golf with O.J. Simpson. That's right. And and Norm kept making jokes about the fact that he was obviously guilty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they say you're known by the, the company you keep, you're known by the friends you keep. Uh, Harvey Weinstein and O.J. Simpson, they, I don't know, there's this crowd around NBC that is a little unsavory, if you ask me. I mean, obviously, this guy, since NBC, you know, has their sister channel, MSNBC, there is obviously this left-wing Democrat connection here. You know, you know, it's it's really interesting. A, a while back, um, my friend Cyrus Nawasta did this thing, The Path to 9-11, and it, it, it showed that Bill Clinton could have killed uh, Osama bin Laden before the horrible 9-11 thing. Of but, course, he but, could have responded to the USS Cole bombing. Yeah. Many opportunities. And Clinton was just too busy fending off the scandal about Monica Lewinsky, you know, and, and it was a very honest, very balanced. It didn't speak what, that well of George W. Bush either, you know, it was a very balanced uh, docudrama. And uh, they still, uh, this is ABC, this is D Disney, they still have not released this on uh, DVD. So anyway, the point that I, that, that I want to make is just when I, I went into the offices where they made it once and I talked to them about it, just chatting about it, and they were shocked. They said, you know, we, we love Clinton. You know, we, we, we don't know why he would shut us down. We made this, we loved Clinton, but it was, you know, and I really wow. do believe that below the, the, below the level of the top management, there are a lot of people who do not know that they are being used as mouthpieces for the Democrat Party. I really believe that. That's, that very well might be true. I mean, it gets to a great distinction you make between reporters and editors yes. <laughs> at yep. that former newspaper, the New York Times. <laughs> yeah. They have some very good reporters, but the editors are all... Uh, hacks and, and uh, communications directors for the Democratic Party. And, and it ties into uh, this NBC News chief. I guess he's a screenwriter or something. There huh. is the, the line between Hollywood and news, the line between New York and Hollywood, you know, the entertainment industry and the news industry yeah. has always been a little blurry. But the, the uh, incest that they've engaged in and the, the absolutely hackneyed partisan character of it is really corrupt and corrosive. And I, and I hope 
people are predicting that Hollywood is going to fall apart now. Obviously, Trump took a wrecking ball to the mainstream media. I can't wait. Let's watch it burn. It's been a blast. <laughs> and there, there can be a real culture and a real uh, art scene that will come up in its stead instead of the tripe that's being pushed out by both of those institutions. A amen, amen. And I, and I have to say, you know, it used to be in the old days these corrupt, uh, hideous producers would, uh, you know, draw actresses in and to bring them onto the casting couch and have sex with them. And now we have these corrupt, hideous producers drawing women in uh, to watch them take showers and play with themselves. I think this is a marked decline in the quality of our corrupt, hideous producers. <laughs> it's true. There used to be a sort of Standard. glamour to their crimes. Yeah, yeah now, it's, now it's just 100% uh, perversion. But, but I think we should mention, I think it's important for us to mention that you and I single-handedly are reinventing the culture without any help from Hollywood so far. That is true. It, it, yes, with our with our new podcast, Another Kingdom, which is, a, is now available on iTunes, right? So it's now, it's everywhere. It's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's on Google Play. Obviously, I uh, agreed to do this project because not only did I rebuff Harvey Weinstein's advances, I actually was never asked, which kind of hurts my feelings, but uh, ho you know, Hollywood uh, is a, a place that can exclude conservative art, and so we, I don't think we ever had a shot of making this in any mainstream outlet. It's just too... Uh, honest, you know, it's it's too compelling a story, and so it's been great. We're, it's up right now. The first episode is up. We're going to do it every Friday. We're releasing it every Friday, and uh, and it's a story of a schlubby Hollywood screenwriter who can't catch a break, can't get any work. I have no idea why you cast me. And then he walks through a portal into another kingdom where there are ogres and monsters and broadswords and British accents and beautiful dames. And he's and he's a murder suspect in this other place. That's right. Yeah. He's a murderer. He's, he uh, walks in on him holding a dagger next to a bloodied body of a beautiful woman. And it, it, I will say, it is possibly providential that we're doing this story. It's being released exactly at the moment that Hollywood is falling apart for its perversion and its corruption. Uh, I think the timing is perfect. And the real question is... Uh, is which land is more, more fantastical <laughs> and horrifying. I, well, I, I I think if people will come on, if they'll listen to this, give it a chance, and then subscribe on iTunes or, and also leave reviews, because that's very important. If they will do that, I think within within months, you and I can be harassing women and abusing people. You know, fingers crossed. <laughs> I, I find when I bought a bathrobe, I don't know, it does. it's not really flattering on me, but it doesn't sound like it's flattering it's on Harvey, Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein either. either. Yeah. yeah, but if you, if you do, it is very uh, helpful if people check it out and then leave a review and, you know, yeah. a rating and everything. Uh, that's really helpful. And I, I want, yeah, I want Hollywood to come groveling to us <laughs> out of the ruins of their <laughs> edifices and say, hey, give us some art conservatives. We'll, we're finally willing to listen. Well, I look forward to hearing that you've escaped to Europe for uh, for counseling. <laughs> but in the meantime, you still have to do the Michael Knowles show. That's right. It comes on after this. And, uh, and you'll be abusing people there. Absolutely. So Today, you know, just a little preview. Yeah. The New York Times accused Ben Shapiro primarily, but a, a number of us also, Molly Hemingway, me, uh, of uh, pandering to our audiences. So today's show is called The New York Times' is Trash and Historical Retrospective, and I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> Good. I look forward to that on The Michael Knowles Show. Knowles, thank you very much. I'm glad you survived uh, your journey into corruption. You're telling me. <laughs> That, that piece on uh, Shapiro was absurd. I mean, that was it was genuinely absurd. Although, I, you know, 
the New York Times has been running pieces for the last year on how great Red China, well, like women had better dreams in Red China, women had better sex in the Soviet Union. I, if you're not being attacked by the New York Times, if, if Shapiro were not being attacked by the New York Times, I would lose respect for him. You know, I would start to feel like, why, why, are, they, why are these communists being nice to Shapiro? What's he got going on? <laughs> it's like, so I'm actually glad when they attack him. It, it restores my faith in mankind. Uh, I just want to close. I want the one thing I want to close out is just from the left, a left winger Howard Feynman at the Huffington Post. This thing I was saying about Trump's week, it's starting to bleed through. I'm st I saw it. I saw it on Ricochet, where they're not all that friendly to Trump. It's a very middle of the road uh, right wing site, and I saw somebody. Uh, what was the headline? Trump is doing a great job. Discuss. I talked about Molly Hemingway at um, at the Federalist, but this is at the Huffington Post, and Howard Feynman writes a piece called The Method to the Moron's Madness. The conventional wisdom about President Donald Trump is clear enough. He's an infantile, ignorant moron surrounded. <laughs> I should read this. I should act this out. It's like, because you can just feel the anger bubbling up as he writes. He's, the conventional wisdom about President Donald Trump is clear enough. He's an infantile, ignorant moron surrounded by a shrinking political base of phalanx of enemies who used to be friends and more investigators than the FBI Academy. Washington reacts with alarm to his inflammatory tweets and lately has made a parlor game out of chronicling his outbursts of anger, dismay, and ignorance as news organizations offer a cascade of vivid, in-the-room portrayals of an out-of-control boy king, all of which are made up completely. So Democrats hope against hope that he will be impeached over Russia. I can't believe these guys are living in this stuff. His approval rating is lower at this point than any other modern president. But, he says, by the end of this week, it was clearer than ever that if Trump is a moron, he is a moron on a mission, and with more method to his madness than his enemies understand or want to consider. The tweets are a useful distraction, a kind of air cover for his carpet bombing of federal policy and programs. In quick succession, the president and his small but focused dead-end gang have used administrative diktats to wreak havoc on clean air rules, immigration procedures, Obamacare, and the Deal. Each of these moves, whether designed to serve the interests of big business, Tea Party, xenophobes, or the new Sunni Nikon alliance, is unpopular. Trump doesn't seem to mind. He knows what he wants. This is, I mean, they're just beginning to catch on, you know. And, you know, I, I have to, let me end with this. Lindsey Graham was on TV. You know, uh, uh, Steve Bannon is doing this thing where he is swearing he's going to take on the mainstream GOP with outlying Tea Party candidates. And, of course, the press loves this idea of civil war in the GOP. There's a big civil war going on in the Democrat Party, too, but they're not covering that as much. They're covering this. And it is kind of strange because the Republicans won, so usually the party that wins doesn't tear itself apart quite as much. But Lindsey Graham answered, hit the whole thing right on the button. You know, everybody's been, especially conservatives, have been attacking Mitch McConnell. And I should say that Mitch McConnell stopped the practice that was slowing down, I won't go into the whole thing, but he stopped an arcane practice that was slowing down Trump's so far excellent judge nominations. So McConnell gets some points for that last week as well. And here's Lindsey Graham explaining exactly how powerful Steve Bannon is or is not going to be. 
you're going to ask me about Bannon, so I'll just go ahead and ask myself. See Bannon, well, the president's yeah, so former Yeah, so what's advisor. going on? Uh, it's a symptom of a greater problem. If we don't cut taxes and we don't eventually repeal and replace Obamacare, then we're going to lose across the board in the House in 2018. And all of my colleagues running in primaries in 2018 will probably get beat. It will be the end of Mitch McConnell as we know it. So this is a symptom of a greater problem. If we do cut taxes and we do repeal and replace Obamacare, it doesn't matter what Bannon do because we'll win. But Steve Bannon has said that Republicans should go to war against Mitch McConnell, that all y'all should get rid of him and that that should be the Republican rallying cry. Mitch McConnell's not our problem. Our problem is that we promised to repeal and replace Obamacare and we failed. We promised to cut taxes and we've yet to do it. If we're successful, Mitch McConnell's fine. If we're not, we're all in trouble. We lose our majority and I think President uh, Trump will not get reelected. Is Steve Bannon a big problem or a little problem in trying to get anything done? He's saying everything you're doing is going against the cause. He's a symptom of a problem. Bannon can't beat us if we're successful. If we're not successful, it doesn't matter who tries to beat us, they'll be successful. Let's leave it at that. Trump has, is doing what he can without Congress, but he does have Congress. Congress is Republican, and they have not done their jobs yet. We'll see if they can get it done. Let's look at our crappy culture. So, so I've got a couple of things I want to talk about. I'm not sure I'm running out of time, but I have to talk about Rick and Morty. <laughs> Rick and Morty. So you watch Rick and Morty, Austin, yeah, it's right? A great show. It's a great show. So let me, I, I will say what I think it's about, and you can tell me. One of them is a, a mad scientist, right? Yes. And one of them is just a schlub, right? Just a guy. Yeah. Okay. And the thing is, it takes place in, mul it's a world of multiple universes. Now, I'm really interested in multiple universes because this is a theory that was invented by scientists to explain the fact that there's a God, but they don't want to believe in him. This is absolutely true. Really, one of the reasons they have had to invent multiple universes is because the world makes too much sense. And it makes, it, it's weird, it, it is weird that the world has created a being, us, that can understand the world and that we can calculate things mathematically and then they turn out to be true about the universe. The odds of this happening, I have heard it said, are the same as the odds of a strong wind passing through a junkyard and assembling a 747. I mean, these are, it's incredible odds. So the scientists came up with this great idea. They said, well, this is, there are infinite universes, and we just happen to be living in the one in which this takes place, which is kind of like if you're playing cards and a guy draws five straight flushes in a row, and you get up and you draw your six-shooter and say, you're a cheater, and he says, no, 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 there are an infinite number of card games. This just happens to be the one in which I drew five straight flushes in a row. It's not a very good theory, but they put this theory to use to show that life is meaningless, right? Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm just, I'm just want to make sure I get this right, because you've actually watched, and it's funny, it's pretty good. It's really funny. It's really yeah. funny, okay. So on the, this is, I think, the opener of the third season yeah the the mad doctor which one is the doctor rick or morty rick is the doctor rick is the mad doctor all right so he's the insane doctor since he had since life is meaningless he has no purpose to his life and he attaches all the purpose of his life to this these what is it like szechuan sauce. sauce that mcdonald's put out to advertise the disney film mulan <laughs> okay right 98 so it was out for a couple of weeks to, and then they stopped making it they stop making it, and all he wants is to find the place in the universe where he can find it again. And here's that scene. We've got adventures to go on, Morty. Just you and me. And sometimes your sister and sometimes your mom, but never your dad. You want to know why, Morty? Because he crossed me. Okay, take it easy, Rick. Th th that's dark. Oh, it gets darker, Morty. Welcome to the darkest year of our adventures. First thing that's different, no more dad, Morty. Oh, he threatened to turn me into the government, so I made him and the government go away. Oh, 
I've replaced them both as the de facto patriarch of your family and your universe. Your mom wouldn't have accepted oh, me if I came home without you and your sister. So now you know the real reason I rescued you. Oh, I just took over the family, Morty. And if you tell your mom or sister oh, I said any of this, I'll deny it. And they'll take my side because I'm a hero, Morty. And now you're gonna have to go and do whatever I say, Morty. Forever. And I'll, and I'll, I'll go out and I'll find some more of that Mulan Szechuan teriyaki dipping sauce, Morty. Because that's, that's what this is all about, Morty. That's my one-armed man. I'm not driven by avenging my dead family, Morty. That was fake. I, I'm driven by finding that McNugget sauce. Nuggets. I want that Mulan McNugget sauce, Morty. That's my series arc, Morty. Hell? If it takes nine seasons, I want my McNugget dipping sauce, Szechuan me? sauce, Morty. That's what's that's gonna take what us all the way to the about? end, Morty. Season nine more seasons, Morty. Nine more seasons until I get that dipping Szechuan sauce. That? For 97 more years, Morty. I want about? that McNugget sauce, Morty. <laughs> so, it's complete. Now, now here, here's a test. Do you know what the reference to the one-armed man is? Yeah, it's in there. Oh, it is? Okay. Because yeah. there used to be a show on, I, I was like, even before my time, really, uh, yeah. called The Fugitive. And The Fugitive was an innocent man charged with murder. The police were hunting him obsessively, kind of like in Les Miserables. And he was hunting for the one-armed man he saw leaving the scene of the crime. Oh, so, okay. so the, yeah, so the session wants to... They, they do, yeah. <laughs> so like when when they when they caught the one-armed man, they actually announced it on planes. I mean, everybody everybody was so really? yeah turned on to find that. So somehow now the thing about Rick and Morty is it has lovely fans like Austin, our wonderful producers, yeah. are totally nice. But it has these crazy fans, right? <laughs> they just get obsessed, yeah. and they become obsessed with finding the Szechuan sauce. In fact, McDonald's actually issued reissued it for a few weeks to supply the Rick and Morty fans. But here is one Rick and Morty fan who could not find his Szechuan sauce. You guys Szechuan sauce. Where's my sexual sauce? I can't go Rick! Woman love a dog dog! I can't go Rick! 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 I'm Pickle Rick! 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 What the hell? I love that guy. What the hell? <laughs> that is our crappy culture. You can't even put on a funny TV show without people going insane. It's like it's like everything has to be about the people. Like nothing is about the art itself. Everything has to be about like us. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, that's our crappy culture. We will be back again tomorrow. Not only with the show, but we will also be here with the conversation at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern. I will answer all your questions. Plus, you get to watch Alicia Krauss, which is always a pleasure. It's on the Daily Wire Facebook page and YouTube channel. Anyone can watch, but anyone who's anyone will subscribe, and then you can ask questions, and I will answer them all. Your life will change, possibly for the better. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We will see you all again tomorrow.